All right, so I want to share this morning a message called Growing Pains. And it's a good message, so just, you know, be prepared for goodness. Um, It's just a collection of thoughts I had from the year, really, when I thought about how we could cap off the year um, to just share some things that God showed me. I, one of the greatest things that anybody could ever say about me and what I'm looking for every year is that I'm not the same person that I was the year before. I want to be able to look back on the timeline of Leanne and go, thank God I'm not as selfish. Thank God I'm not as weak. Thank God I'm not as foolish. Thank God I'm not as impatient. Thank God I'm kinder. Like, I, I want to see personal growth. Like, I, I want to grow. I, I want to mature. And how many of you, when you were kids, remember what it was like to have growing pains and be lying in bed with achy joints and calling out to your mom or your dad, Mom, Dad, come and rub my legs. <laughs> Maybe you had a parent like that. Um, mine were that good that they would come and oblige. Um, but, but those growing pains were a sign of growth. Of, of maturity. And as much as they were painful at the time, they signified something so magnificent, growth and maturity. And as I look into 2023, that is the word that I've been sensing for our church and our team. It's, it's maturity. We're coming into our 18th year. That's kind of officially the adult year. In Australia, you're allowed to drink at 18. Um, so there, there's a maturing, there's a growing up that, that God wants to do within us. It always starts with us. But, but with that growth and maturity come growing pains. So, you know, if you're feeling those growing pains right now, don't be confounded by it in the wrong way. Be, uh, be so grateful and, and excited about the expansion that God is taking you through. So I just had some thoughts that I wanted to, to bring out with this, this message in mind and some of the lessons that, that life have, has shown me this year uh, through growing pains. The first one is offence is a choice. And I know that can sound like a cavalier statement, but I really, I wrote it because I believe it. I really do believe it. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to be self-indulgent and I don't want you to get offended or I want you to turn a blind eye to injustice because then it means I don't have to pastor you through it. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because it's the truth. We can't choose to be hurt. We can't choose sometimes to be grieved, to be let down or disappointed. But we do choose to pick up offence. We do. You know, I, I think about my life and truly and honestly, I, I tried to be offended once and it so didn't suit me, I stopped doing it. Like I tried to give somebody the cold snout and I call it the cold snout because Tommy will know when I try, go to kiss my dogs, they'll turn their face, they'll turn their snout. And I'm like, how dare you give me the cold snout? I own you. Come here and let me kiss you, you fool. Yes, I kiss dogs. Um, but I can't, I can't and remain in the integrity of me, of Leanne, or even a Christian, give people the cold snout. Be offended. I tried once and I felt like an idiot. I'm like, this doesn't suit me. I'm not this person. I can't give people the cold shoulder. I can't be snooty. I, I can't st- stay mad. I might be able to have to have a conversation with you, 
but I'm not going to hold an offence. Do you know what this year has told me? That some people just really love being mad. They really, like, they love that. It's like, I've got a thing, and I'm holding on to my thing, and I'm nursing my thing. And when people say, why do you look like you've been baptised in vinegar and lost your last friend? They'll say, because I have a thing. Well, how about if you just didn't pick that thing up? How about if you let yourself mature and deal with hurt and hardship and grief and sadness and disappointment in, in a, a godly way? Amen. Yeah, amen. Offense is a choice. Here's what Ephesians chapter 4 says, starting in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. So there's not, like, there's, there's not a law against anger. People are going to make you angry especially in church life, because we're dealing with the best but then also the worst of human nature. And you'll find that people start to express those symptoms in what can be felt as a safe place. So they can put on a facade and all that kind of thing, but when they come into a place where they finally feel a level of acceptance, all the stuff starts to come out. So it means that there will be some anger involved in your life and your leadership. But then Paul goes on to say, but... Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I want to ask you a question with growing pains in mind. Have you given the devil an opportunity by letting your anger go longer than it should, by picking up an offense? I want to add to this maybe just a practical point. Just be really careful about searching for information that will amen your offense. Like, don't, like, people talk, and in a free society, we should, that's going to happen. We, it's, it's wrong if they don't, put it that way. If we, uh, if, if we silence speech, now we've got to teach self-control, but if we, if we mandate you can't, then, you know, all we have is some kind of dictatorship which we don't want. So people being people are going to say things. They're going to say things. As for me, I don't, I don't want to know them. I, I don't want to hear them. You, I, I, I'm not looking for it. But there's some of you out there, and the reason that you're still carrying offense is because you're looking for it. And you're looking for words to affirm that offense that you don't want to let go of. So I have no doubt that people say things about Jürgen and I, and you know what? I don't care and I don't want to know. You're not helping me if you tell me. In fact, people that do tell you are like little plague rats. Just like the the rats of the 1800s, they run around spreading the black plague and and infecting one another. So I'm not... I'm not interested. You would be wise if you closed your ears to that stuff. And if you have a friend who keeps running to you with the latest Gus concerning you or what he said, she said, or they said, then are they really a friend? Uh, Let's add this scripture to it to just help you. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 21 to 22. Do not take to heart all the things that people say lest you hear your servant cursing you. And trust me, it happens. I have no doubt. People out there have cursed us at any given time. Again, don't want to know, and I forgive you. How's that? (laughs) 
And then uh, Solomon goes on to say, and, and just so we're not hypocrites, your heart knows that many times you have cursed others yourself. So let's just remember the grace that we would like to be given is also the grace that we're going to, to extend. And can I add to this another thought? People say things they don't mean sometimes out of an explosion of emotion. Are we really going to put them on the cross for that? Really? Was Jesus on the cross not enough? We've got to put our compatriots, our team members on the cross too. Offense is, is, a, cho- is a choice. Okay. Point number two, thought number two, growing pain number two. No leader is perfect. Leanne, this message is so self-indulgent. God is going to ask us to follow imperfect people, and it's all part of his divine plan. Have a look at the story of Naomi and Ruth in the book of Ruth. Okay, was Naomi perfect? Far from it. We're talking about a woman who renamed herself bitter. No angel came down and, or Jesus, uh, I, you're no longer Simon, you are Peter. Like she, na- she renamed herself bitter. And yet she was the divine connection that God had for Ruth to get her from a place of barrenness to breakthrough. Wow. Think about your life. Think about the leaders that lead you. Do, do leaders need to be perfect for you to follow them? Now, now here, here's the kicker. Now, I'm not talking about immorality. I'm talking about regular humanity, regular human brokenness. Was Naomi immoral? No, but she was broken. She had a tremendous amount of personal loss that meant she now had some residue. Now, here's the kicker. The kicker is to follow someone like that but not pick up the worst parts of their humanity. To not turn a blind eye. You never see Ruth behaving bitterly. On the contrary, she took Naomi's counsel, but she didn't take the worst parts of her spirit and character. And God honoured her faithfulness. And this is no small thing, because at that particular time, God was not really blessing anybody except the Israelites. He was making a distinction between his people and everybody else. And Ruth was a foreigner. And yet a book of the Bible was named after her. And she had a massive breakthrough that was attached to her faithfulness to a broken woman. Wow. There are no perfect leaders. And if you look for one, you won't find them. And you know why God meant it that way. Can you walk with somebody who still has a limp and not mimic the limp, but draw from them the strength that God has put on their life? So, growing pains. Amen. All right. Third thought. Unity is spelled W-O-R-K. So, so... Unity is not organic. It's, it takes work and it takes flipping hard work. The hardest work you will ever do in the church is the work of staying in the spirit of unity. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. In fact, Paul was constantly rehashing sermons to different churches in different parts of the world and they all contained letters on the importance of unity. 
And, and the devil knows this. That's why he, he works so hard at sowing seeds of discord. We have to be smarter than the devil. God gave us a, a Bible for a reason. So we'd pick it up and read it and see within it the context of how to build a healthy church and to see the pitfalls that lay in front of us that we're not to step into. Disunity is one of those. A unity is spelled work. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, Paul writes this. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Okay, let me break that scripture down for you because it's easy to read and go, nice, all right, next. Let me break it down. Live a life worthy of the calling. That means that it's possible for us to live a a life that is unworthy of the calling. That there is a kind of behaviour that we could model that is a disparagement to the office and the church. Live a life that is worthy of the calling. When when you put your, your hand up to be a minister, a pastor, part of the team here, you now represent more than yourself and your parents and your family name. You represent the Lord and you represent awakened church. This is what Paul is saying here. Live a life worthy of the call. The next thing he does is he gives us the key to unity. The key to unity is found in humility, gentleness, and patience. Other versions say lowliness, meekness, and long-suffering. Now, here's the kicker on this point. None of these things come naturally to the human nature. That we're, we're shockingly selfish most of the time. Many of us can be terribly braggadocious and and prideful, completely impatient, working on our timelines with no regard for other people's journeys. Humility. If you don't have humility, it will be impossible for you to keep unity. Humble people think of others and how they can serve. Prideful people think about themselves and what people can do for them. Do you see the difference? That's why humility as we grow as a church and as a team is one of the greatest qualities that we need to capture, that we need to work at. Patient, bearing with one another. Listen to the language that Paul is using. Bearing with, you use that term when a woman is giving birth. You bear down. It's, and trust me, for those of you who haven't had a baby, bearing down is a painful experience. It takes some devotion, it takes some unction, it takes some strength, and it takes some discipline to do that. Bearing with one another. Do you know what that means? That there are going to be people that are going to feel unbearable. (laughs) And it also gives credence to the thought that nobody is going to be perfect. If there's people that we're going to have to bear... It's not, oh, gee, I like them. God's saying, no, I want you to bear them. What does that say about the person sitting next to you? What does it say about us, about you, about me? Amen. Patience. Patience, my gosh, is a virtue. You know, and I think being married, if you let it, will teach you patience. Patience. 
Like, the, like God was so smart putting a man and a woman together. That's why, you know, among many reasons, gay marriage is a terrible idea. Like the mixture of the male and the female in that close union of marriage will teach you things like, I wanted to throttle my husband in the beginning. We were so different. And, oh, but I tell you what, he's been my greatest teacher in life, not by just what he's taught me through nurture and care and leadership, but through just being difficult (laughs) and unbearable. And I learned what worked and what didn't work. I learned patience because I had so much impatience with my husband and I realized impatience doesn't yield the fruit that, that, that I want a harvest of in my life, so I'm going to have to be a patient person. It's amazing. I'm a really patient person. Traffic does not bother me. Used to. Lines don't bother me. Used to. Ah, where was I the other day? And it was just, it was a hot mess. Target. (laughs) I'm just trying to buy a phone cover for my daughter. And and nobody's around. I mean, and everybody who who came past with a name badge and a walkie-talkie didn't know anything. (laughs) And I'm like, well, the old me would have, like, just gone full Karen. (laughs) But thank you, (laughs) Jürgen. I have cultivated some self-control by being in what seem like unbearable situations. So I have some patience. Growing pains, somebody say growing pains. The thing about unity is it is required in circumstances and and situations where agreement cannot be met, but unity and the common goal of community is still sought after. Are Are you hearing what I'm saying today? There are things that unity will cost you. The biggest one is your pride. All these things, like all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost is kind of like, you know, because he's doubling down. He's got that epidural in your spiritual spine and you're feeling, you're taking it all. And then all of a sudden, that thing wears off and you're like, oh, no, you didn't. And um, it, but I felt God say, you know, this is what unity costs. Now, I'm not talking about a transgressing of values or beliefs or a cowering to a wicked spirit. I'm talking about making the right compromises over things that are compromisable. Does, does that make sense? Okay, I'm not asking you to, to, to change your beliefs and your views, but I am asking you, have you done everything in your power to do to keep the bond of peace? as Paul is asking here. Amen. Romans 12, 18 says this, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So I want to ask you this question. Have you done all you can? Sometimes it's not possible, but have you done your part? All God's asking you to do is your part. Have you done your part? Let me give you a list of certain things that you might be called upon to do. Apologize. Don't let the sun go down. Like, apologize quickly. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, when you have an adversary, go to them quickly. Put things right quickly. Don't stir things up in others. This is key. Don't look for that amen. Don't look for that broken amen. Forgive. Forgive. And there's a time frame to forgiveness. Extend an olive branch. Extend an olive branch. 
Unity isn't my opinion. It's what God expects, and it's a sign of maturity. Fourth thought. Don't try to rescue people God is growing, but do support them. Let's help people own their mess. Let me, let me have a little confessional time with something that I did when I was a little girl. Tommy doesn't know this. When I was 11, <laughs> I went with my friends to Kmart and I stole, I know, a, I mean, of all the things to steal, I stole a pack of cough lo- lozenges. <laughs> and my friend stole a lip gloss, okay? Which uh, brand? I don't know. No, yeah, butter menthols. I stole a pack of butter menthols. And I don't know, I got demon possessed for a second. Like I all of a sudden just thought it would be, and I had money. It was the craziest thing. Anyway, so they were very punitive in those days. I got, we got nabbed by the Kmart in-store security. Then we're taken back to the back room, right? And I'm like, I honestly, like I was, I was a good girl by and large that did bad things. But I, I thought I was going to jail. I was losing my ever-loving mind. Like I almost had a panic attack because I'm like, my parents are gonna kill me. Like I had more fear of my mum and dad, which is something that is sorely lacking these days. Uh, fear of my, like what is gonna happen to me? And freaking out, I think I'm gonna go to jail. Now, my friend's parents turn up and they're having a go at the security. How could you do this to little kids? Oh, you should adjust, blah, blah, blah. Defending, you're going to hear from my attorney, extract their children from the situation. My flippin' parents made me sit there for hours in the security office with, with like unpleasant people thinking I was going to go to jail and this was going to be on my record forever and thinking all these thoughts and then came up and, and finally delivered me into, you know, from my uh, jail cell and <laughs> drove me home. You know what? The best lesson that I could learn on why you shouldn't steal by stealing and getting caught and then having to own the consequences. And too many of us, you know, because we're, we can be such rescuers in church because we, a lot of us can go into ministry because we have a mercy gift or we love people and they're beautiful things that we don't want to change. But understand you don't help people when you rescue them. Let them own it. You've got to feel this because if you don't feel it, you'll do it again, you little rat. I've never stolen again because it is burned in my psyche of what happens when you steal. I was talking to Mike Connell yesterday, having my quarterly checkup. And um, he said, he just offhanded said a joke and he said, you know, uh, you know how you get somebody to never forget their wedding anniversary, get a man to never forget his wedding anniversary? Have him forget it once. (laughs) It's really true. And uh, you know, he forgets it once, boy, he will never forget it again if he's to mar- marry to a woman worth her salt. True in that situation, true here. But if we rescue people from what God is trying to teach them, the lessons of their folly, doesn't mean we don't support them. Like we're, gonna, we're not going to grind your face into the dust and sa- say, bad girl, bad girl, bad forever. You'll always be a thief. Like we're, we're not going to do that, but we're going to let them sit in 
the consequences and the repercussions. Don't mislabel God teaching you a lesson or chastisement as persecution when, when it's actually not. It's, it's the repercussions and God wants you to learn and me pulling you out is not going to help you. But this, but feeling it, feel it. Doesn't it suck? Don't you never want to be here again? Good. Do you understand what I'm telling you today? This is, this is really important. Amen. All right. Have I lost my place? Did I? Sorry, guys. It's, it's the eyes. Lord, increase my eyesight. Yeah, don't try to rescue people. I did, I did have a, um, a biblical illustration for this also. Jonah. If the sailors had tried to rescue Jonah instead of letting him face the consequences of the storm, not only would they have all died, Nineveh would not have been saved, and Jonah would, would have been robbed of some very significant one-on-one time with the Lord. Like, like think about what your rescuing is ultimately robbing people of. Let them feel it. Yes, I love you. Yes, I'm committed to you. Yes, I will support you. But you have to feel this. And if I rob you of this, then I rob you of a lesson that God is trying to teach you. And Hebrews tells us, does it not? The Lord chastens those whom he loves. And you've got to ask yourself, if you're not being chastened, whose kid are you? The fifth thought. Hardship can either strengthen us or crush us. The choice is ours. I have heard preached, hardship will strengthen you. Yes, it could depending on how you approach it. Proverbs tells us that if we faint in the day of adversity, then our strength is small. Everything in life is a choice. Hardship is going to happen. The Bible says the rain rains on the just and the unjust. Just look at the life of Job. But hardship can do one of two things. It can crush you. It can grind you into the dust. It can have you heading for a safe space, looking for somebody to make you a hot chocolate and give you a lump of Play-Doh so you can feel it out. Escape from the world and live in a little bubble where nobody ever hurts you and there's no pain and there's no rain and everyone's nice all the time. Not real. Or you can let hardship strengthen you. Listen, look at the story of Job. 48 chapters started with, there's no one like Job. What a good man. But you know what? He became a better man through hardship because it sent him to the Lord. He was better. He was more respected. He was more humble and he was more blessed Because in his hardship, he found God. And at the end of the book of Job, you'll read something so beautiful. He says this. I used to hear about you or I had heard of you, but now I see you. Isn't that beautiful? What happened in the in-between between have you considered my servant Job and then the ending, which was blessing? Hardship. It could have sent him one of two places into the dust destroyed, decimated, crushed, but it strengthened him and it made him a better man. The choice is ours. When I look at the real issues with this generation, it's sad to me because they've been rescued, they have no ability to withstand hardship. And so that's why what's happening in our colleges is so abhorrent and why what's happening with Awaken You is so exciting because we're going to build resilient people who know how to handle a thing or two 
they don't see it as a curse from God, but an opportunity. Do you know when we walked through what we walked through with Geordie? It was an opportunity for me to find strength in the Lord. And that that horrible hard season grew me, has grown me more than anything has ever grown me in my life. And yet it was the hardest thing I've ever been through. And I had a decision. I can check out and say this is too hard and life sucks and this is the collateral damage of somebody who builds the church. Or I could stand up strong in God and say, I'm not going to let this break me. In fact, I'm going to use what the enemy may have intended to break me to strengthen other people. We have an awakened recovery because Jürgen and I went through what we went through with our son and said to ourselves, let the hardship we went through be a strengthening for others when they go through the same hardship. It's all how you view it, friends. And it's your choice. I can't make you do any of this. This is not church policy, but if you want to make the growing pains count, if you don't want to check out of life and get to the end of your days with regret, but rather stand strong. How many of you have seen that adventure movie where everything goes perfect all the time and nobody ever has a bad day? You haven't seen it, have you? Why? Because it bored the heck out of you. The reason you go to those adventure movies is because there's hardship in it and there's overcoming in it and there's desperation in it that has people reaching out for an answer and within it they find their zest for living. Which leads me to my next point. Rivals are a catalyst for breakthrough. Defeat the bully. Okay. So long as they keep bringing the bully along. Because the bully will make you better if you let him. Hannah and Peninnah in the book of 1 Samuel. And her rival Peninnah tormented her daily. So she wept and did not eat. But you know what Peninnah did? Peninnah was her best friend in so many ways. Because that bullying pushed her to a place in God where she found breakthrough. And that barren woman had seven children. Your bully can be your undoing. And the reason you sit in the corner and you pout and you say, I'm taking my bat and my ball and I'm going home and fooey to this ministry thing. Or that bully can make you who you are and be the catalyst for your breakthrough. I thank God for the bullies in my past. I, I need to send her an offering. She really did make, I, I hated it. I didn't see it at the time, but as I've matured in God, I look back and I go, God, she was, she was a blessing. She made Leanne who she is. She gave me a perfect picture of who I don't want to be. Thank you, Lord. Don't, don't despise the rival, the bully. Learn from, let them push you toward a place in God that you could not get without them. And I'm talking about, like, even in a healthy competition, there is unhealthy competition that should be very much avoided in the house of God. But there's a healthy competition. I was a professional, a competitive swimmer uh, as a kid. And I loved having a revival, a a rival, a rival. I loved having a rival because I would look for her in the corner of my eye. Am I beating her? Am I beating her? Am I getting that? And I would just want to beat her. I don't know why, but I would just want to beat her. But did I beat Janice? Yeah, she beat Janice. Boom. (laughs) Boom. Take that, Janice. She was my rival because she has better times at me in Butterfly. You know, she she did because she was a bigger girl. You need need a big old body to to get through. But I thought, I'm I'm not taking that. 
I'm going to beat her with my skinny arms and my not as broad shoulders. And you know what? I did. I did. True for me and Janice, true for you, and insert rival here. So I don't mean, I don't mean in an obnoxious, like, I just, like I'm not talking about doing this with your friends, but I'm talking about that rival that you, you see that torment and they're coming at you. You can, you can use that energy to propel yourself forward into a place in God and, and take things that you could not get without them in your presence. Do you, do you see what I'm saying here today? Okay. Next thought, you can't pastor a Jezebel spirit. You have to overrule it. So we've got to, this is another thing I've learned this year, right? Because I I like to pastor people. I find myself going to compassion most readily out of most different emotions and feelings. Like I feel for people very quickly. It's very easy, or it used to be easy, more easy to manipulate me in in one sense. You start crying, I, I will melt. But, but God has had to teach me this year, like, tears are okay. Like, remain focused on the goal and, and the vision. You can still be kind and have patience, but don't let people override you with emotion. Uh, specifically when it comes to this, this Jezebel spirit, it's not something that can be past it. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation 2.20 that Jesus said to the church at the time, nevertheless, I have this against you that you tolerated that woman, Jezebel. Jezebel is not to be tolerated. She's to be overruled. So let's look at what Jezebel looks like. Most of us are not going to have to deal with the big old, you know, like the real heavy duty one. Usually that's for like a Pastor Jürgen, there'll be a spirit at play, a spiritual dimension. But all of us have to, before we can deal with the Jezebel around us, we have to deal with the low-key Jezzy on the inside of us. And trust me, she's, oh, she's there. I mean, we're looking for one. I think sometimes, and here's the thing, she shapeshifts. She'll be here and then she jumps there. And then, and this person, have you all seen uh, that, that movie, Denzel Washington? And it's the one where he's chasing that demon. And the demon would jump from one person to the next. And like just a normal person, you know, walking their kids and all of a sudden, right? And then it jump out of that person into that person. Brilliant movie, creepy, but brilliant. That's exactly what happens in church sometimes. It's not that that person is the, you know, the mothership of Jezebel. It's just at whatever given moment, they've made themselves open to being used by her. But I would say, let's, let's all look at it. And it's not something you can pastor out. You have to overrule it. It's, we've, we've got to stand up in our authority as, as believers and not allow ourselves to be hoodwinked by this spirit. So let's, let's look at an example in the Bible of where we might see this. I was thinking about this yesterday. Mary and Martha. Perfect, right? So, and Marthas are everywhere in church because they're attracted to Jesus. Beautiful. But then they, they bring their broken, dysfunctional ways and if people don't do it the way that I would do it, then it's wrong. And, you know, very much performance-driven and looks-driven. No, Mary, you don't worship Jesus like that. You worship him like this, you idiot, right? <laughs> this is what we're dealing with here. But what I love is Jesus' response because he doesn't suffer a fool gladly. He doesn't try to pastor Martha. He calls her out publicly in her own freaking house. Boom, shakalaka. <laughs> So think about it, within your teams, within yourself, when control, let's just call Jezebel, Jezzy, control, when she sneaks in, 
Who is that person that cannot be crossed? That person that everybody's afraid of and has to tiptoe around and nobody can have a conversation with them? Who is the person that people who are afraid to confront? Who is that person that manipulates, whether it be through emotion or threats, when they don't get their way or they're cornered? And again, look for the Jezebel within you before you look for it around you. Don't tolerate that spirit. This is a time... I'm seeing a lot of people <laughs> looking around and smiling. And Remember, look within first. Okay, we don't want to start a witch hunt. And again, people... Look, I'm talking in most churches and in our church, you're going to see low-key, Jezzy. Low-key. You know, there's no... Uh, nobody's going to suddenly morph into Maleficent from, you know, Sleeping Beauty. But just be watchful for this spirit. Pablo. Oh, yeah, Pablo, the bishop. Always the ones you least suspect, eh? Well, well, well. Um, but I think it's important. Nothing will, will shut down strength, hamstring and neuter a vision. Look, think about Jezebel. She was surrounded by eunuchs, people who had no testicles. Okay? Why? That meant they couldn't reproduce. They were emasculated. Their strength was taken away from them. Wherever you see a departure of strength, you will see the evidence of a Jezebel spirit. You can't tolerate it. You have to rule over it. Understood? Okay. And then go to Shelley and Stacey for more info. That probably needed to be fleshed out a bit more. I'm sorry. But I, I want to bring it to your, to your attention here because I think there are a lot of things we're trying to be past, to pastor that actually need to be cast out and directly confronted. And, and, that's, and that's what Jesus did with Martha. Martha, Martha, you are, let's, let's talk about it really. There's an issue on the inside of you. You are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary, your sister, I'm going to make a nice little comparison right here. I know you hate that, so that's why I'm doing it. Mary, your sister, has chosen the better thing. Boom, done, drop all the mics, drop several mics, take several seats. Well done, Jesus. And then finally, take responsibility for your inner world. You Write this down. This has got to be number one for the year. I think it was Pastor Colin that said at a Pathfinder event, he said, have you ever noticed that there are so many, so many self-made successes but no self-made failures? Did I say that right? Yeah, kind of. Um, and isn't it true? Like we love to blame, blame, blame for the way our life looks. The reason I am the way I am is you don't understand. At what point are you going to own you? At what point are you even going to say, maybe it wasn't fair, the, the hand that was dealt to me, but I get to decide how those bad boys are played. At what point do you take responsibility for your inner world. You have to own you. Mike Connell said to me yesterday, he said, I don't chase people. I won't. I offer an invitation, but they have to accept it. I will not chase people. And whether they come after me determines how much breakthrough they truly want. Let me, let me break it down in real time, even with just a an illustration that is very relevant. Relevant. Come on, Leanne, get it together today. Sorry. Uh, it's not lost on me that everything we have have built 
can be lost in a day if we ignore the inner nudgings of the Lord. And before some things played out in public, trust me, there were multiple pokes from the Holy Ghost in private. Oh, shocking. It's on the front page of the newspaper. Yeah, before it was on the front page of the newspaper, God would have been given them a news flash all on their own every freaking day. And they ignored it time after time and tried to put it under the carpet. But just like the Bible says, what is hidden will be revealed. You cannot hide from God. You cannot fool God. Somebody write that down. Because listen to me. If you don't deal with it, it will get dealt with. We decide whether it gets dealt with privately or publicly. That's the only decision we get to make. And trust me, God will do everything he can. He will send shots across your bow. He will create storms. He will send loving people your way. He will get your spouse to say it. He will get your friends to say it. He will get your pastors to say it. And if you don't listen, then unfortunately people who don't love you will say it. And that's when it will hurt. That's when it will hurt so good. A public outing is God's, always his last stand, not his first. So my friends, growing pains as we step into a new year, as we become bigger and more successful, we simultaneously need to become more humble, more humble, humility. We need to become more self-reflective and we need to become more responsible with our inner lives. God, what are you saying to me? God, what areas do I need to work off and stop being so gosh darn prickly when people that love you bring it up? That's what love is after all. All right, that's enough for you, Auditor.